HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, May 14th. This is the 19th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Now, today we're going to be chatting with an amazing wine and food expert. But first, I will do my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. Okay, so as the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I will tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Now, today's tip is to challenge yourself. And by this, I mean don't settle. Take risks. Make things happen. If you want to open a restaurant or a wine store, go for it. If you have a dream to be a chef, get a job in a kitchen and go to cooking or go to cooking school. If you want to be a radio host or a TV personality, pitch your idea. The worst case scenario is you won't hear back or you'll be rejected. That's it. It doesn't really hurt to try. With PR, it can be challenging to pitch stories, as unfortunately, you may deal with a lot of rejection before something hits. But when you get that line drive or home run, it makes it all worthwhile. So I say go for it and challenge yourself to think big. That's my tip today. All right. Now, I'm very excited about my guest because he's someone who thinks big. It is Josh Wesson, a super talented wine expert. So I have a brief bio here. It's a very flavor, fl- flavorful bio, I would say. Let me read it. Once a hugely respected wine steward who reveled in the extravagance of princely pours, Joshua Wesson now sips from the cups of carpenters in his never-ending quest for everyday deliciousness. JetBlue's wine captain and co-founder of Best Sellers, a chain of award-winning wine stores where 
affordably, excuse me, affordably priced bottles are arranged by taste. Josh now works with Fairway Market to launch food-driven wine and spirit shops. In 2012, he opened Best Bottles on Manhattan's Upper West Side. Josh is feature, a featured speaker at many wine and food events, a frequent guest on CBS This Morning, and a regular commentator on NPR, Public Radio, International's The Splendid Table. His most recent book, William Sonoma, Wine and Food, A New Look at Flavor, is available everywhere lusciously photographed food and wine porn is sold. <laughs> Very nice. It's did true. You, did, you, did you write this yourself? I did, yes. <laughs> I love it. So welcome. Hi. It's great to be here. This is my second trip to Bushwick to be on the radio, and uh, I'm just uh, enamored of the location, of the chairs, of the pizza that's being eaten just outside the window of the studio. I know. We have a direct direct view of that. And uh, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be here with you. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. So thank you for making the trip out here. So tell me, how did you get started in... How did you become this wine and now and food expert? Well, I mean, like most people who are involved in the hospitality business or wine and food today, they never really uh, uh, thought that that career would be the career they would end up with. Right. True. It's, uh, our, our, almost all my 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 dearest friends in the business came to it through some kind of serendipity, uh, you know, some mixture of delicious fate and uh, purposeful decision making that that brought them to the world of wine and food. And uh, I, I I grew up, uh, you know, in a very normal middle-class environment. Uh, I was born in Queens, but I spent my wonder years in West Orange, New Jersey, not the height of gastronomy. Nice. No no mecca that people make pilgrimages <laughs> to unless they want white castles. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, and my mom was a, was, a, was a terrible cook. She's still alive, and she still is a terrible cook. <laughs> In fact, she doesn't cook at all. Um, and, and, but, and my dad wasn't much of a cook either, but he, uh, he loved to eat, and so did my mother. And they appreciated travel and, and new tastes and exploring things, both uh, physically and uh, dimensionally uh, at the table, spiritually almost, and encouraged uh, my brother and my sister and myself to just try things. Sort of like what you were saying in the introduction, where you see something you want to go for it. Um, my dad was in the advertising uh, industry. Oh, okay. Started out as a copywriter, and then he worked his way up through the stations of the advertising crosses to uh, uh, to finally become a creative director of his own agency. And it was an interesting company because it had two kinds of clients. It was called Wesson Warhoftig, a little boutique agency in the 60s and 70s. But they were very successful because they had differentiated themselves from other businesses by focusing on restaurants and drug companies. <laughs> it was like a food and drug czar. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> back back yeah, in the 60s right, and 70s. Right. And when I got bar mitzvahed, I ended up getting wine from half of his clients. I had a wine cellar when I was 13 years old. That's when it which began. Which is because it was, yeah, just, you know, it was crazy. Now, the fact that my my folks drank most of my cellar by the time I went to college. I only had maybe 30 bottles left out of the 120 that I had received. Didn't matter. Still, I got to take 30 bottles to college with me. Great wines, by the way, because he had restaurants uh, uh, that were, you know, ranging from Italian to French. Um, one was Chateaubriand. They did La Fonda del Sol, which was a Jill Baum restaurant. Uh, La Piazzetta. 
um, a whole bunch of like crazy places that at at the time were considered really good restaurants. And I got these really good wines, and I got to taste them. And, and my folks were always allowing me to try wines at the table. We were one of those families. Good folks. Yeah, yeah, they were very, very nice. Was, you know, and um, and I think I developed um, a fondness for it. But it wasn't wine that really excited me when I was growing up. It was food. And we went out all the time. We went to my, my, my father's client restaurants where we were, we were treated royally. And we were often eating in tables in the kitchen. This is before it was hip to eat in the right. kitchen when that was the best table you could get. These were the tables where the staff would eat so they wouldn't take up tables out in the dining room. And, and yet I felt incredibly special if I could see the cooks doing their thing. And, uh, and it was just you know an amazing experience for me. And we went out two, three nights a week, sometimes four nights a week. And we always had Chinese food on Sundays and pizza on Saturday. In fact, my brother, apocryphally or true, I'm not sure which one, um, was said to have been conceived over a Starlight pizza, the best pizza that we had in West Orange, and a <laughs> bottle of Rufino Chianti. You know, and, and to this day, it's his favorite food, so I'm sure that there's some genetic yeah, that, then it's, component it's, there. It's a definite thing, then, if there's that tie. But you know, like when you're growing up, you're sort of forced to eat whatever's being cooked and presented mm-hmm. to you, except when you go to a restaurant, you're given a chance to break away from that. And when you have a menu in front of you and you can pick your own meal, it's a, it's a powerful device. It sort of trains you to want to try new and different things. So I was eating all sorts of stuff back in the, the 60s and 70s that uh, you know, now we consider to be More commonplace. You know, ubiquitous, right. acceptable, yeah. you know, and we take for granted. But I'll tell you something, you know, enchiladas and tacos were not taken for granted in, in the late 60s and early 70s, unless you bought those little patio frozen ones, which were terrible. But, right. But it was, you know, it was, it was <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I grew up, you know, eating, dining richly, and that influenced the way that I, I, I approached food and wine. That's a great story. I, I didn't know that was your background, and I didn't know it started at your bar mitzvah, which... Bef- cool. Even before the bar mitzvah, <laughs> because, you know, I was kind of a latchkey kid, and uh, both my mom and dad worked, and uh, I have a brother who's younger and a sister who's younger, and we were kind of left to fend for ourselves. So whoever was taking care of us would often teach me how, how to cook, and learn how to you know to, to make meatballs and fried chicken, right. and and uh, I still remember the first dish that I ever cooked was wagon wheels with sp- wagon wheels. Wagon wheels. I don't know pa- what wagon pasta. wheels are. They're like pasta shaped. Oh right, a, a wagon wheel. Okay, with ketchup and butter. And it was an insane. It's still insanely delicious Ketchup, to this day. Butter wagon wheels. Yes, I, I recommend everyone should try it. And by the way, <laughs> it's insanely good with an off dry rosé. Mind blowing combo. Which which we have in house that you've brought. Well, this one's fruity, delightful. but it's on the dry side. But it would still go well with the wagon wheels and the ketchup. Okay. But it's the butter that gives it that. I glisten. trust your palate. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so you got to college and. How did, I mean, what happened? How did you how did you get to when you co-founded Best Sellers? Because that was that was nineteen ninety six. Oh, I founded it in ninety five. We opened in ninety six. Okay. Um, it took us a year to go from conceptualization to the full blown realization of the store because it was a store that didn't exist in the world anywhere. Best Sellers was my uh, uh, my retail idea uh, for presenting wine. Uh, by the way that it tasted rather than the countries or, or place that it came from. Um, it's amazing. And, 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 uh, and, and, and we would put that information in the, the shelf talkers that we would write. We'd tell you where it came from 
and what grapes were uh, uh, in the in the in the mix, um, or what grape was being used. But but to let people, everyone knows what they like, and most people, even people who feel they can't articulate their tastes, if you tease it out of them, will tell you exactly what they like and don't like in pizza, in pasta, in meatballs, in wine, in coffee, in ice cream. Doesn't matter what you're sticking in your mouth. You know, you can have an opinion once you savor it, taste it. And um, I wanted to take that powerful, sort of hidden, submerged database of desire and give it a, a way to express itself in an environment which required no prior knowledge on the part of the consumer. The, 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 the person could come into a bestseller store and not know the difference between Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc or Zinfandel and Nebbiolo but they uh, would still be able to find a great bottle of wine because everyone knows what they like. And if you like light-bodied red wines that taste like black cherry jello shots, that's all you need to know to find a great wine. And when we opened, every wine was $10 or less I remember back in that. 1996. Yeah. And those wines, I would say, it was, the store was small. It was only 800 square feet, and we had 100 wines in there, ranging between 5 and $10. And they were arranged by taste in eight categories. Fizzy, fresh, soft, luscious, juicy, smooth, big, and sweet. Fizzy for sparkling wine, sweet for dessert wines, and then light, medium, and full-bodied whites, light, medium, and full-bodied And rest. everything had its own color, right? I, I, I'm visualizing that. Well, we, you know, we, our, our um, logo was made up of a wine stain for the C in bestsellers because it was B-E-S-T-C-E-L-L-A-R-S. And that uh, became sort of the motif for the icons that we used to define the different categories. So we, had, we gave people three different ways to think about a taste category. We would say light-bodied white. Okay, that's easy enough. Anyone can understand that. We would say crisp, our shorthand uh, for light-bodied light uh, white wine. Um, and then we would have a color, lime green, with an icon made of a wine stain uh, uh, that, um, that looked, in this case, like a, like a, a slice of lime. Um, and uh, it, it, it just it, it made it very it easy. It made sense, and it was clever. And, um, I mean, when you opened, was it, was it an instant hit, or well, did it take time? Um, well, but people were very curious about the store when we, we opened. Uh, and, you know, when you see a word like fresh or crisp, you know, we would use a couple of words to describe a category. But ultimately, for what light-bodied whites would be fresh was the dominant term. Lime green, uh, a, a, a stain that had been turned into a, a picture of a lime. And then you got to taste anything you wanted. We would open up the store for you. You can take a sample. And any given night, we would have 10 wines open anyway. So if you went there on 10 days, you could taste the entire store. Where was your first store? Was it Upper East Side? We opened on Lexington between 86 and 87th okay. Street uh, in an old Back lighting right. store. And at that time, that area was sort of, wasn't dodgy, but it wasn't the, the mecca, the destination for retail that it is now. There's H, an H&M on the corner. <laughs> the uh, Upper East Side destination, but well, for retail, I get it. Well, the, the, yeah. if, if you were to look at a picture of that, mm-hmm. that strip of commercial real estate uh, in 1996 when we opened versus you know, 2014, it's unrecognizable. It, 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 it's literally a mall now without a top. 
And we were right across the street from the second Starbucks to open in New York City. And we were pioneers along with them. And and people, you know, when the word got out that you could get a wine for 5 to $10, laid out by taste, try it before you buy it. And then we did something that, I to this day, I, I, I'm surprised more shops don't do, but they, they, they do more often now than they did back then. Uh, it's just give people a guarantee of happiness. Okay, take the bottle home. If you've never heard of the producer, fine. If you've never heard of the grape or grapes that are in the wine, fine. But there's no risk. Take it home. Enjoy it. If you don't like it, finish the bottle. Just bring it back empty with your receipt, and we'll give you credit or your money back. So there's no risk involved. This is the way any retailer would probably back up their products. Well, it's it's hospitality in the wine store, which maybe wasn't happening as much back then. Like I mean, That's what you're describing. It's just genuine hospitality, which you keyed into was a key component to, you know, Get, making customers happy. Well, we did a lot of things. We hired David Rockwell, who did a, an amazing job taking a space and turning it into an interactive environment with us. It was you know, very, very mm-hmm. cool to go in there and shop. It, it was part of the experience of enjoying the wine even before you enjoyed the wine. The shopping experience was not uh, uh, desultory. It was engaging. It was a, it was really a, a, a big part of our success. The colors... Uh, were done by Hornell Anderson, which had done Starbucks and K2 and Jamba Juice. They're out in Seattle and did a great job for us. Um, so we had this dynamic uh, um, environment of colors and shapes and in a space that ultimately became an award-winning little retail space. And, uh, and wines that, at that time, for $10, you could get an estate-bottled wine from the Loire Valley made of Sauvignon Blanc and uh, would blow people's minds, and, and and you know, we didn't we didn't pick cheap wines. We picked wines that over delivered on their promise of deliciousness, and and the integrity of the wine sort of made the store a success. Because when you took a bottle home, and and it blew your mind for eight or nine dollars, you know you're going to come back and try more. And that that's all we did. It was a very simple proposition. We exceed your expectations in multiple ways. Boom, we have you. We've taken the fear away. Yeah. Because you know, most people buy wine based on fear. Or labels. Yeah, rather than um, <laughs> on some positive attribute. You know, that's changed a bit. You know, in the, in the 20 years since we launched Best Sellers, you know, wine drinking public in, in America has gotten smarter. Yeah. But I'm uh, serious about the labels. I would look at labels in a wine store and think, oh, that's cool, and just go with it. Yeah, no, no doubt. <laughs> you know, this is if bo- you don't know, I mean, might as well have a... So we opened before no. the Critter labels came out, and you know, the, the cutesy thing sort of oh, you know, overtook graphic design. But um, well, you know, I was so proud of our opening product mix. We had something for everybody. And it's very hard. You ask any psalm to write a 100-bottle list versus a 200- or a 300-bottle list, they'll tell you it's really difficult because there's so many things you can't have on that list. Yet you still want to offer a sense of breadth. You can't have depth, but you can have breadth. So that was my challenge. I turned that store into a wine list for a restaurant that didn't exist because we had no food component there. But we did food and wine tastings in the stores in the store, and then ultimately the stores when we grew to a chain, all the time. And, you know, it, it was a crucible for experimenting with fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And you get instant, when you have 100 or 150 people tasting a wine with a given food, and they're giving you their instant reaction, well, you can, you know, very easily dial into a great match based on, you know, uh, the wisdom of crowds. And that's what we did do. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Very smart. We're going to take a break here. And 
We will come right back, so stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Hi, welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is wine expert Josh Wesson. Okay, so we've been talking about bestsellers, and so let's, let's, so what, I mean, after location one, and then let's kind of move through, how many locations are there now? And then, like, what's your, and and how'd you get to where you are now? Because you're not, that's... You've how how has your career changed over well, the Well, I don't own the company anymore. We, okay. sold, we sold uh around when four years you, ago wh- okay. uh, uh to a supermarket to A and P. And um they have uh not really grown the business um in the way that I had hoped they would have, but it doesn't really matter because you know it's it's theirs to do with what they want. I think right now there are uh, uh five stores that are branded as uh, as bestsellers. Um I converted one store that I had that was a bestsellers to a best bottles. One store that I kept when I sold the chain off, I kept one store for myself. I saw that in your bio. Yes, um, which is fun, right across from Zabar's, and it's you know uh, very similar in terms of its uh, expression of mm-hmm. wines by taste, but it looks different enough so you wouldn't confuse the two. But you know, bestsellers for me um, was such an obvious idea back in 1996 because there was such a felt need for. Uh, good, solid, real, reliable information about wine as we were coming into our own in America as a wine-drinking country, but we weren't there yet. You know, now you, you look at, uh, you know, millennials and, and you know, all sorts of different demographic cuts, drinking wine. People, we're drinking wine in this country, and we're drinking a lot of it, and we're, we're, we're drinking interesting wines. When, when I was a Psalm, before I opened Best Sellers, when I was working in restaurants back in the the 80s. Um, were you, I'm sorry, were you working in restaurants here in, in New York? Yeah, I worked at the Quilted okay. Giraffe, ah, right. which was a vaunted restaurant, arguably one of the best new American restaurants when new American meant something, you know, in the age of yeah. Arcadia and uh, an American place and, you know, the, the founding mothers and fathers of, 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 of new American cuisine were sort of expressing themselves then. And I got to ride that wave. Uh, I rode it to Hubert's which was a great restaurant down on 22nd Street. It's not around now. Uh, but um, I, uh, 
I, I, I had an amazing experience there because we had a lot of guest chefs in the kitchen, and the chefs would reinvent the restaurant. It was almost as if I got to play Psalm in five or six different restaurants a year, even though I stayed in the same place. And that you know, kind of triaging of wine and food with different kinds of culinary elements and, and, and histories and, and qualities to it allowed me, I think, to become a much more intuitive uh, 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 pairer of wine and food in, in a way mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it informed my, um, my thoughts about creating bestsellers. And in between, I wrote a book with David Rosengarten called Red Wine with Fish that, uh, that came out in 1989. And, um, and we talked a lot about wine by taste in that book. And that was sort of a precursor to yeah. what ultimately became bestsellers. Well, he had he had his Food Network show Taste, right? That's what it was called. Yeah, we wrote the book, and then he went off to sort of, you know, almost co-found the the mm-hmm. TV Food Network, and then I went off to to work on my consulting business and ultimately go into the retail business, and uh, and and I look back on that time as sort of a a, a, a very creative part of my. My, my, my post-SOM years because I was thinking about wine by taste and trying to be reductive without throwing away, you know, the significant bits. I wanted to keep all the stuff that was there, but just enough stuff so I didn't overwhelm people with information, but I gave them real information. I wasn't dumbing down the process of selecting wine or matching wine and food. I was just revealing how intuitive it can be because if you distilled Red Bomb with Fish to its basic uh, components... The, the two key elements that informed every wine and food match that anyone ever had or anyone would, would ever have had to do with elements in the foods and wines contrasting or being similar or in some ways being both contrasting and similar. Right. You know, I moved to New York in 1998, and it took me a while to figure out my career, and I had a lot of job interviews. I remember going for an interview at Best Sellers, and I have such a bad memory. I don't. I just remember it was with a woman. I remember seeing you in the space. I didn't get the job, whatever it was. I think it might have been sales. But I have this memory of that now. I mean, that was a long time ago. And now here we are doing a radio <laughs> show together. You know, it is, it is amazing how, uh, how deliciously the world spins us around. But, you know, if I were to launch another store, I wouldn't do bestsellers right now because I think that we've become a more sophisticated um, uh, uh, market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people who are drinking wine not only understand more about wine, but want more out of wine. And they don't want to be constrained necessarily by a, a hard cap on price. Now, ultimately, when I sold the business four years ago, um, the, or five years ago, the, 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 the price... The top price was $15 a bottle. And then we raised it to 20 and then you know, we gave a little bit of flexibility. The sweet spot today, 2014, um, for finding the greatest relationship between deliciousness and value price is probably 10 to $25, maybe 15 to $25. You can drink so richly uh, from the, 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 the cup of, of, of wine around the world if you're spending 15 to 20, you don't need to spend any more than that. You can have wines that, that, that tell a story, wines that have a sense of place, wines that have a soul, wines that are insanely delicious, wines that sort of bring you back for more even before you finish the sip that you have in your mouth, you want another one. And, and that's what I've always prided myself on, being able to find wines that have that little umami switch. 
you know, that, that make you want to have another sip even before you finish the last one. And uh, I did an event last night at the Harvard Club, and uh, there was a mix of people from probably 25 to 85 in the audience. I did it with Steve Jenkins, who's the cheesemonger at Fairway, one of my great friends and a brilliant cheesemonger mm-hmm. and a grocer. And we picked challenging cheeses, and he sort of threw down the gauntlet and, uh, and, and had me do all sorts of, you know, wonderful wine and, and cheese combinations. But it, there was nothing esoteric about it. I didn't even set up the matches ahead of time. I laid out the six wines, and, and we worked through the wine so everyone understood what their purpose was on the table. No two wines were the same, not made from the same grape or coming from the same country in the same style. So we had six tools in our toolbox to play with when we tasted with the cheese. And I let the audience tell me what matches worked. And it was amazing that we were able to achieve consensus, but we were because, you know, it was based on the simplicity of contrast and similarities. And once you understand those things, you're sort of free to roam around the the food and wine world and make matches all day long. It was great. It's great to see people come to these things themselves rather than be told this goes with that. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. I wish I was there. Yeah. Well, the next (laughs) one, I'll invite you to the next one. You know know, what would be fun to do? It would be fun to do that kind of a tasting on the air with you. I would love to do that. Okay. We have the little problem that I don't drink, but... Well, we'll get some other people there. <laughs> we, I could, I could be the host, and I could, I could, I would definitely. You can be the mistress be a part of, it. of ceremonies. That I'm, um, I'm down for that. So let's let's. What you're talking before it reminded me of my question. I had asked Isabella Wojcik, who was um, on my show last week. She's the the director of house programming at the James Beard Foundation. I asked her to ask you a question. And she had two. She wanted to know what you like to drink nowadays. And I thought that was a very loaded question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her other question is, what you th- what do you think of the current state of wines today with all the small producers and, you know, the direction that the wine industry is going? Well, I'll answer the second question first. Okay. You know, I, we live not in the golden era of wine drinking, but in the platinum era of wine drinking. Because when I think about when I got in the business versus now, you know, and the, the, the yawning chasm between then and now, you know, back then it was old world, new world, and people were mostly focusing on, you know, places that are, are known commodities of excellence. But, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there really wasn't any discussion of wine from South Africa or wine from Chile or Argentina or wine from New Zealand. Uh, or wine from Brazil, uh, you know, the, the, these places mm-hmm. were, you know, either exotic or just completely off the wine map. There was no discussion of wine from Croatia. Uh, people paid no attention to wine from Hungary. Or Israel. Or, or Israel, or, or Lebanon, for that matter. But there are amazing, astounding, world-class wines being made in all of those places. And the, 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 the breadth of deliciousness that's coming even out of France that was undiscovered or, or unheralded before. Um, you know, 30 years ago, people weren't talking about the Jura and the Savoie. You know, those were just places that maybe you, your car broke down on the way to Geneva. Uh, you know, there's so much deliciousness coming from places that you wouldn't expect or ordinarily followed. I'm talking about beyond the usual suspects, because there's great wine being made in Bordeaux, there's great wine being made in Burgundy, and there's great wine being made in Alsace, and there's great wine being made in the Loire. But there are a lot of places that that uh, have come into their own. Wines from the Southwest, wines from the Languedoc-Roussillon. I mean, just nuts, bananas. And, you know, 
Portugal was wasn't known for very much other than port and maybe uh, you know b- b- bad rosé. Now there are astounding wines coming from Portugal and Spain. You know who knew mm-hmm. anything beyond Cava and Rioja uh, and Sherry. Now Spain is one of the most you know deep wells to dive into when you're talking about insane deliciousness, incredible values, and wines that just over deliver on their 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 their, their happiness. So I, you know it's a great time. It's to be liking wine. It's mm-hmm. a great time to be a consumer. It's a great time to be a psalm. It's a great time to be in the restaurant business and just thinking about wine. But it's harder today than it was 20, 30 years ago because you have so many more options. Right. I mean, it's an order of magnitude more uh, plentiful, the number of options that we have now than we did back then. So I'm still learning. Like I, I, I don't consider myself an expert. In fact, I think I know less now than I did 30 years ago because 30 years ago, I knew a lot about wine, but the world of wine was much smaller. Now that it's expanded, I, I've got to go back and hit the books, and I love doing it. Right. I love next week I'm going to a, a symposium on Greek wines because there are so many delicious Greek wines that didn't exist in the marketplace 20, 30 years ago. I can't wait for it. I'm really I'm just enamored of where I am and all the things I don't know. But I have to answer your first question. And yeah. the, what wine am I drinking right now? I've gone full circle. I've gone back to uh, uh, to Beaujolais. Because it's sort of uh, the red wine that's the universal antidote. It's the uh, Boutros Boutros Gali of red wines. You know, it, it's... Um, I feel like know. everyone talks about Beaujolais in October. Well, they talk about it when Nouveau comes right. out. But Nouveau is a toy wine. And you see, it's but not But that's serious. when you hear about it. I don't know. They do all their... They do a lot of... But Gamay is a great grape because it's it's almost gymnastically flexible with food when it's made well. I'm also drinking. Uh, I mean, I, I'm an I'm an equal opportunity drinker. I'll tell you. Right now. I, I <laughs> I'm not to, surprised. And and I, and and tis the season right now to drink rosés. And I I'm crazy for pink. I am just bananas for pink wines. And um, if you go into best bottles now, we only have a hundred bottles there. Twenty of them are are, ro- are rosé nice. coming from all over the, the wine world. But I, I love. Austrian Gruneveltliners and Austrian Rieslings that are just sort of like the world's best kept secret because they have structure and they have beauty and style and they taste like they come from a place and they're usually not heroically expensive. They're just wonderful. They're dry Rieslings, but they're sexy Rieslings. The summer of Riesling, right? It always is. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, those were, I think, I hope Isabel is happy with your answers. I think she will be. You said that she used some bestsellers wine yes, at her wedding. Yes, she did. And what, I wrote it down here. Was it oh, that two, was way back 2002. When. <laughs> she used, yeah. I'm sure she was drinking richly then. And not for a lot of money. Yeah, no, but it, everything, as we said, it is full cir- circle. And I agree with you. I think wine is one of those topics or that you can always learn. And there's always, there's just so much out there to, you know, that, that the fact that you're saying you're not an expert. I consider you an expert. You're very knowledgeable, but you're right. You can learn more. We can all learn more. So I went uh, after Venitalia. I went up to the Alto Adige and the Trentino uh, in north central Italy, and tasted wines there that I had never had before, and they were revelations. I just was I completely reinvented the way that I looked uh, at, at a grape like Kerner, which is not given a great deal of respect, but. Up in the Alto Adige it is, and it makes wines that are just so deeply delicious that you'd have to be a Scrooge or a Mormon not to like them. And on that note, we're going to take a break. 
<laughs> We're going to come back and we will have my speed round and we'll do some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. music you've been listening to on the show today is by Evan Hashi. This is All in the Industry on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Josh Wesson. It's time for my speed round game. Are you ready? The lightning round. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put on my seatbelt here and okay. hope for the best. Okay. Bu- buckle up. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Hmm. Depends on when. Uh, but I would put cocktails first. Uh then wine, or beer, because I love beer as much as I love wine. Interesting. Wine wasn't first. Hmm. Okay. How about tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. I I don't like people telling me what I have to eat. (laughs) Unless they're really special people. And even then, I put an asterisk there. (laughs) I get it. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Although I am nothing against small plates... I think that sometimes you can have death by a thousand plates, and uh, you get a bill that seems like it was born of large plates, but it's all those little plates. Small plates in tapas restaurants, fine. In grown-up restaurants that um, that, that 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 have a full-blown menu, I, I uh, not so much because I I, I I bring my appetite to dinner, and uh, I, I like to be you know uh, satiated. What can I tell you? Well. Now I know. Now you know. Now I know. How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? Um, I like tipping because I like the option of rewarding servers for their service. But in reality, since nobody ever really under-tips, it's just a matter of how much you're going to over-tip. Well, if that's the- in our industry, I would guess. I would hope. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm speculating, but I think, I think f- industry the- people tip well because I mean, we know. The fault setting is, you know, 20% maybe 18%, but uh, if somebody gives you really good service, then you're going to go above that. But, uh, you know, uh, the idea of somebody building in the... If everybody did it, it would be great. But if only some people do it, not so good. Right. Okay. How about communal table or chef's counter? Depends on who you're dining with. (laughs) Well, if you're dining with me. I uh, Chef's counter. Or I should say chef's counter slash bar, because a chef's counter kind of functions as a bar in its own way. I love yeah. the intimacy of being close to whomever I'm dining with. 
Um, it, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's your best friend or your lover. Just, I just like being close because it makes the conversation and the shared experience that much more delicious. So I go for, you know, counter bar over table. Very good. You answered this one already, but how about red or white or pink? Hmm. Well, you know, they're all good. And as I said, I'm an equal opportunity drinker, but... And I don't believe in necessarily segueing in some stately progression from uh, white to pink to red. I think you can mix up the order, but I like them all. I, I love all. I love all God's children <laughs> if they're made of grapes. Excellent. All right. Here's here, this. Here's, this is a good one. Are you ready? Fizzy, fresh, soft, luscious, juicy, smooth, big, or sweet. Juicy. Awesome. I, uh, those are the best sellers taste categories Juicy's light bodied reds and uh, I like red wines that think that they're white wines uh, that desperately you know want to be everything to everyone and uh, there's something really special about light hearted reds that don't have a lot of tannin because they uh, just are they're great desert island wines and, and I, I just love drinking great okay two more cheese plate or dessert cheese plate Manhattan or Brooklyn um, the drink or the place this is any you can interpret this um, however you like, um, but I was referring more to the place. Okay, um, is there a Brooklyn drink? There is a, a drink called the Brooklyn, like a, like a standard Brooklyn drink, because I, I know there's a standard Manhattan. Yeah, drink. It was, Manhattan was my dad's favorite drink, and I, it's my favorite drink too. I just love it. Um, I didn't know there was a Brooklyn drink. But I, I you know, it's, I I can't tell you Brooklyn versus Manhattan because there's so many delicious things about both boroughs. And I dine in both boroughs, and I have friends in both boroughs. And I spent a little bit of time in Brooklyn, you know, my sort of arc from Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I live in Manhattan, so I'm biased. Okay. Manhattan. But, well, I'll use your word, you like, deliciousness in both in both places. Yes. Looking, like looking deliciousness. For, looking for lust in all the, the right places. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so that was the game. You did well. Thank you. I, I, I passed. You passed. You, you, what you win is to continue a conversation now about some industry news. Okay. You know, I know. Yeah, we, Big prize. We can do that. <laughs> Hold on. Wee. <laughs> you know, you do have a great radio voice, too. I have a great face for radio. I've been told that. <laughs> yes. Yes, I agree. No, I'm kidding. No, I, I have no, a, you I have have a that, chocolatey you FM have that voice. deep, you know, sort of. That, you, that DJ yeah. from the 80s. That was Steely Dan. We'll be right back with Steeler's Wheel right after this word from Robertus. <laughs> All right. Well, if I if I need someone to fill in with me, I know who to call. If they ever do advertisements, <laughs> I can be your un, your voice under. Cool. Okay. So let's talk some news. So, well, I I don't know. I had on my list for a while this that Gato. I know I had dined there. I did a solo dining experience there, and I believe you've been there. So. A, the reviews are now coming out. This is Bobby Flay's new place, mm-hmm. uh, Mediterranean, and it's getting great reviews. It's got three stars from Steve Cuso in the New York Post, two stars from Adam Platt in New York Magazine, and three stars from Alan Richmond in GQ. And I, I don't know. I read Steve's review, and I, I had a very similar experience where I, I went in thinking I would like it, but it was even better than I expected. Like, it was really, really good. Was he in the, uh, the post today? No, it was, uh, it was I think, like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah. Um, well, you know, when Bobby hasn't opened a restaurant in, I think, eight or nine years, 
And uh, this is sort of, uh, in some way, uh, a kind of uh, lineal extension of Bolo, which I loved. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think that he ended up closing before he really wanted to because of the real estate issues. There had nothing to do with the business. He was having, doing great business. Um, and, and, and Bobby's a, a really interesting guy because he, he's cooked in so many different styles and people know him from his television shows. But he's, he's really, a, you know, I think a, a more thoughtful cook uh, and and then perhaps people know him as they sort of you know put him into a, a smaller box than he deserves to be put into. He's, he's his food tastes really good, and I had high expectations when I went there. I've been there three times, and uh, I, I loved I loved my experience three times. I had three different experiences. I went there with Marcus Samuelson, who's a good friend of mine, and we we ate up the whole damn menu. We were with a couple of other f friends, and we just tore it up, and. Uh, the place just felt right, you know. It's mm -hmm. it's kind of neat when a new restaurant feels like an older restaurant, like it's it's got a burnish, it's got a, some, some some quality of of both having been around for a while and a timelessness about it too. And I thought the menu was just spot on. Like every, you wanted to eat everything when you go into a restaurant before you taste anything and you want to order everything that's on the menu. Chances are you know you're in a good place because yeah. they've they've spent a lot of time curating what dishes are going to be there. But they delivered on their yeah. their culinary promise, and uh, and I thought the service was remarkably poised for how uh, how new the restaurant was. The lighting was good. Everybody looked good in that place. I loved the way the bar was sort of the center of the universe. Yeah, there, I sat at the bar, and I'll, I need to go back because I was by myself, so I certainly didn't try the whole menu. Uh, but it did. It was hard to choose because everything did look good. Yeah, and and it, and it was you know it was it was delicious. Um, there, there was goodness to be had from all different corners of that menu. And uh, it's a big enough menu that you would never get tired of it, even if you ate there once a week for right. you know two months. So, you know, bravo to him. And I, I know the big review hasn't come out yet, but I'm certain it's going to be uh, a good one because the restaurant's a good restaurant. It really yeah. is. It's, 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 it's brave of Bobby to open up that kind of restaurant. It's a big statement. You know, when you haven't done it for eight, nine years... You know, it's it, 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 you, know, you know people are going to they're going to be looking for you to to you know and yeah. looking to, to to shoot holes in what you're doing. Well, he was behind the line the whole time I was there, and I believe he he is every night. And actually, in the Ellen Richmond review, he noted how Bobby came over to his table and he was just he was exhausted um, because he had been cooking, you know, the whole time. Versus when a chef owner is sort of just walking around the room and come say comes to say hi and then clean chef whites and uh bobby looked like he had been cooking because he was bobby likes to cook and he's a very good cook and i think that he's having a blast there i can see it even though he is working his ass off you know he um he, he's doing it because it's a it's a it's 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 born of passion and the food tastes that way you know it tastes like it's filled with some passion and love i loved it i loved i loved every little bit of it and i, I can't wait to go back great Okay, well, that's all we're going to talk about with news because we're running a little short on time. But we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Heritage Radio Network is now on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and other devices with Stitcher. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Hi, welcome back to All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Okay, so this week I did Mexican. I uh, Mexican food, that is. <laughs> I, um, you did a whole heap of Mexican. <laughs> I did a new Mexican restaurant called Cafe El Presidente, and it's near Madison Square Park. And these the owners also have Tacombi, which is in Soho, and I had been there before. It's a very cool taco restaurant, mostly tacos. It is more than that, but um, a very good vibe. So this place just opened, and it's it's huge. It's um, it, it has uh, bar seating. It also has table seating. It's a very large space. So I went in. It was it was a bit of a an off hour. It was kind of an early dinner time, and um, the host hostess sat me at the at the bar counter, and I was perfectly happy there. But I was there for about ten minutes, looking at the menu and. No one came over. I didn't have any water. I didn't. For for a second, I thought I might be invisible. It was weird. I was like, "Do people see me?" So um, I started to look around, and uh, the manager was actually right behind me. And she she asked if she could help me. She asked if I was waiting for someone. I was, and I was in my head thinking, like, "No, I'm doing my solo dining experience for my show." But um, I told her I wasn't waiting for anyone, and um, she was very helpful. She she took my order and she relayed it to my waitress and um so i got the crispy fish taco the esquitas which is their corn dish and uh i had a lupita lemon housemade soda i just decided to start with that and um first the corn came out it was great had a kick and then they sent a shrimp taco out to me and i told them i didn't order a shrimp taco so uh, the, the waitress came over. She said, sorry, we were confused. Then my fish taco came out. It was excellent. I think they make a great, great fish taco. Um, and I was, I don't know, the whole time I felt a little awkward. I don't i don't know if it was just that it was an odd time. Uh, so I didn't get anything else. And then I found out later the manager came by to check on me. And she asked if I liked the shrimp taco. And I said I didn't order it. And apparently the shrimp taco that came out to me, she had sent out to me, but there was no communication on that. So um, that's too bad because, you know, she she went out of her way to do that and I I didn't have it because I sent it back. But um, the food was excellent. I just, uh, it was just odd. I don't know. I just had, it was just kind of an odd experience. I even thought the bathroom downstairs was a bit odd. It was unisex and kind of weirdly labeled, but I don't know. It's a new place. I'm, I would definitely go back and try more things, and I, I think they're, you know, I think they're just getting their act together. So, people want to check it out. Uh, their website is cafeelpresidente.com. You've been to Tacombi, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have not. Oh, you've not? In Soho? I think it's on Elizabeth. And you, have you been to this place? No. Okay. Well, that's, I, I, I want to go, but because <laughs> you can never have enough good tacos. True. I had a, a, a great little solo dining experience just to ride on yours at uh, Bustan, which is a new uh, Upper West Side, right? Middle Eastern slash Israeli restaurant. Yeah, how was it? Um, Upper West Side. It's on uh, Amsterdam between 83rd and 84th Street. And it's the chef from Taboon 
and Barbunia. I like Taboon. Uh, Effie, I don't know his last name. He's an Israeli guy, and uh, um, Guy Goldstein is running the, the front of the house. He was running the front uh, of the house at uh, Nice Matin for a while. Uh, just a really wonderful, satisfying, delicious Middle Eastern Israeli uh, 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 dinner. I mean, just beautiful things baked in the taboon, which is a, a wood oven. Um, very, very, very sexy for the Upper West Side. You know, a complete, yeah, a completely I've... novel experience and delicious. Good to know. It's on my list. Uh, it's I've heard some good things. So, well, cool. We got two solo dining experiences. Okay, so we need to, we're getting close, we need to wrap things up, but I'd like to see if you can ask a final question for my guest next week. I'm having on Adina Sussman and Lee Schrager, who are co-authors of Fried and True Cookbook, America's Best Fried Chicken and Sides. Um, Lee might call in, Adina will definitely be in the studio. So, Josh, can you ask a question for them? Well, I, I happen to I have that cookbook, uh-huh. and I, I love both of them, and I've tasted a bunch of recipes that are in there, uh, and and I'm completely enamored. I mean, who doesn't like fried chicken? Uh, but they've taken it to a higher level of crunchy deliciousness. And uh, my question to them would be: um, If you were shipwrecked on a desert island and you had your cookbook and you were picking great recipes out of there, if you could only pick one beverage to go with the different dishes that you had in front of you. What would it be? Uh, beer or wine? Nice. I didn't think that's where you were going. thought you were going to say, what, which chicken dish would you pick? Good. Good question. Thank you. What's the universal antidote to, uh, to delicious fried chicken? What, what, goes, what makes peace with the wild riot of crunchy flavors on the table? I'm curious to see what they say. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been fun. It was my pleasure, and uh, it was a blast. Wow. You're awesome. And uh, so my guest today has been Josh Wesson, and he is on Twitter, Joshua Wine, and Instagram, Joshua underscore Wine. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at All Industry, at Sherry Bayer, and at Bayer PR. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com. And if you miss any of our live broadcasts, you can find us archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, and we're on Stitcher and iTunes. So thanks to my engineer, Jack, and thanks to everyone out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and please tune in again next week. I'll be back at 4 o'clock. So until then, have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.